You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. Well, if you're uh, not aware, we've been journeying together through this series on the fear of God. When we started a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about how the fear of the Lord, right, this kind of obscure topic, like what is this? And, and yet what we've learned is that over throughout Scripture, there are actually 490 verses on the, the fear of the Lord, uh, fear of God or fear of God. These, these phrases appear in Scripture 490 times. And so probably something that we should take note of, amen, right, like, and so that's why we're on this journey. But we also understand that, that because of this idea of this God who loves us and desires us, we kind of have a, a, a challenge with what does it really mean to fear God if this is also the one that loves us, that desires in, intimate relationship with us. And so that first week, what we talked about was that the, in, the, the fear of God is an invitation to intimacy that actually what God is desiring is that, that you and I come closer to Him and that we have a healthy relationship with Him. We looked at how the fear in that phrase was a, a reverence, an honoring that leads to obedience, right? And it makes sense that if that fear of what we're talking about is, is actually a calling of us to have a reverence for God that leads us to walking in obedience of him. This is what the fear of the Lord means. This is what we talked about week one. Week two, we talked about, right, how these women that most of us haven't ever heard of had lived in fear of, of God so much so that they didn't do what Pharaoh had commanded them to do. In other words, their, the fear of God in their life led them to radical obedience even if their life was on the line and how important that is in our life. And ultimately, right, we begin to see from that story that the fear of God leads us to a reverence that moves us to obedience no matter what the cost. And I wonder, right, like why is this thing still such a challenge for us today, especially in the church in the West? And so just, uh, again, if, you, if you're new here and you've missed both of those first two messages, I encourage you, uh, there's a, a podcast. You can go check it out on, on our podcast. Um, and tonight, I want to get into the fear of God, His treasure. The fear of God, His treasure. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. God, for your great love for us. Thank you for your presence in this room. God, thank you for moving in our time of worship. God, thank you for the, the way you've broken off some of the heaviness in the room. God, I thank you that that actually gives us a, a place where we can now even hear and receive more from you as we step into your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? God, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts. 
God, we just say we're desperate to meet with you. We're desperate to hear from you. We're desperate to be transformed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The fear of the Lord, his treasure. What is it that you treasure in life? What is it that you treasure in life? What is the thing in your life that you value so much that you would protect at any cost? What is that thing in your life that, that you have set aside that actually you don't even know what you would be like without it? You know what I'm saying? Or it just has so much meaning and value to you that if you were to lose it, you would search high and low for it, right? What is that thing in your life that you treasure most? For a lot of us, maybe it's not even a thing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a family. Uh, maybe it's a skill, right? Maybe it is something that has been handed down from generation to generation to generation, and when you turned you know, 18, someone handed you this thing that's been in your family lineage forever. What is it that you treasure? I find it interesting that there have been movies made over the generations about people given their entire life to find treasure, right? Um, Uncharted, National Treasure, these kinds of movies that, like, we get excited about. And what's interesting, right, is that these Men and women that set out to find these treasures, search high and low, and they, at great cost to their life, to everything that they own, to their family, they pursue this treasure. Why? Well, because it has so much value that it could change their life. It has so much worth and value that we think that if I can get my hands on this thing, It'll change my life. And what's crazy is that most of the time, what we see throughout life is that there actually is no earthly treasure that actually really changes people's lives the way that they think they ought to change because of these things. But I wonder, right, what is it that you treasure? I think in my life, there's been a couple things that I've thought were really valuable, right, that I, that I actually really cared deeply about. One of those was my championship ring from my high school career, right? Like, so we went all the way to the state finals in soccer in New Jersey, which is kind of a big deal. We're a small group. We won our county tournament, which means we beat the number one and number two size schools in our, uh, in our state that actually won group one state championship and won group two state championship. We were group three. Which meant if we would have won the state finals, we would have been the number one team. It would have been the first time ever a group three school in the state of New Jersey was the number one team in all of New Jersey. But we lost. But I still got a ring. I still got a ring. And that ring was because in New Jersey, you actually can win five titles. We won four, so we still got this beautiful ring. And it was something that I treasured, right? At the same time, you want to know how many times... I wore that ring. I don't think I ever have <laughs> worn the ring for a whole day. You know, it's like slipped on my finger and off the finger because it's a big, clunky thing, and I don't really like it to wear it. But I remember in college, I had to switch dorm rooms in the middle of the year. And 
not so much because I valued it, because I, I, you know, like I wore it all the time, but I valued it for the memory of it. Does that make sense? And so when I moved mid-semester dorm rooms, I started searching for this ring, and I, and I couldn't find it. And I was like, that's awful. You know, like I, I searched high and low. I like went through all of my bags. I searched... My new apartment was a wreck because I had been looking for this thing, and I could not find it. <clears throat> and so because it was something of value, and I, I wasn't even walking, I wasn't even walking with the Lord, I thought, I'm going to pray for this ring. And so I prayed for this ring. Lord, I don't know what you think about this, but I would really like to have this ring back, and I have no clue where it is. And because I grew up in the church, I also knew that God knew all things. So I figured if he knew all things, he knew where my ring is. And so I, I said, Lord, if you know all things and you know where my ring is, would you help me find this ring? I kid you not, two months later, I dropped something at my desk in my new apartment. I got down on my hands and knees to grab my pen out of the floor, you know, underneath the desk, and my ring was on the floor. And I thought, what? That's crazy. No one's ever going to believe me that I think the Lord put the ring on the floor. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I think it's interesting, right, that, that we, we think through these things, and we have these treasures, and they mean things to us. But really, at the end of the day, I'll always, I'll have that memory I may not always have that ring. At the same time, I think treasure is something that we assigned to ourselves in the sense that, like, whatever is valuable to us becomes more treasure, like a more of a treasure to us, right? Because treasure will always be something of value. It, we don't really treasure things that have no value. Now, whether it's monetary value or it is sentimental value or it is uh, whatever kind of value, it's a value that means something to us. Therefore, it is a treasure to us, and we want to keep it. We don't want to lose it. And tonight, I want us to th see that, that actually the Lord, when we talk about this idea of the fear of the Lord, that it's actually His treasure. Now, isn't that interesting? So Isaiah 33.6 says this, The wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times, and the strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, what's interesting is, like, we've been talking about this idea of the fear of the Lord. Well, what's the fear of the Lord? We talked about how it is, for us, it is this reverence that moves us to obedience. And so when we dive into this, and we see that actually in Isaiah, he's saying that the fear of the Lord is his treasure. It's, it's crazy that God treasures this reverence that leads us to obedience in his people. He treasures that. Therefore, if, if think about that for a second. If God, if the one true God, the Lord God Almighty, values and, and, and treasures the fear of the Lord, it should also be something that we treasure. It should be something that we desire. Why? Well, because the one that we Love, the one that we care about, the one that cares about us. This is something that's on his heart and near to his heart, that he cares about the fact that people have a healthy, holy fear of him, that this is something that he tre treasures. He treasures those who rightly revere his name. 
that live in a reverence that leads to obedience. I think, again, as we look at this idea, the treasure of the Lord, something that is precious to Him because it is valuable, it is interesting to see that the Lord, right, should value something that is about Him. But this is, this is a big deal as we move forward. And I actually believe that the Lord is heartbroken over the reality that the church in the West, and maybe even worldwide, the capital C church, we don't talk about the fear of the Lord often. We don't actually dive into that. That's why we're taking this journey, right? I feel like it's something, if the Lord treasures this, it has to grieve his heart a little bit that we actually never talk about it. And perhaps maybe not until the last couple of weeks have we started to pursue a life that is lived out in reverence of God to move to obedience, I think God created us for intimacy. If the fear of the Lord is an invitation to intimacy, all of a sudden we can begin to see why maybe He treasures that. If the fear of the Lord leads to serving Him and walking in obedience, then we can begin to see already how the fear of the Lord is something that He treasures. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me hear, Ron Rhodes says this, biblical wisdom essentially involves skill in the art of godly living. One who possesses wisdom is both knowledgeable and experienced in following God, God's way. Psalm 25.14 says, the friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. Another word for friendship here is counsel. Counsel with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. This idea of counsel is a familiar conversation. A familiar conversation with the Lord, the God Almighty, is reserved for those who fear Him. We already talked about the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, reverence that leads to obedience, right? And that obedience leads us to not sin against God. This is what we're talking about. But tonight, I want to look at a passage in Malachi. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 3. And we begin to see, gives us a little bit of, of, of insight into this, this heart of God. Now, where we pick up in this story You've got to know this, that the Persian Empire is ruling the promised land at this moment. The land that was given to God's people is being ruled by the Persian Empire. We are a thousand years after Abraham's era. Israel had returned to the promised land after, after their time of exile. The temple had been rebuilt and yet they still struggled to believe that God was with them. The Israelites refused to take account for their own sinful deeds. And they were facing some unfortunate circumstances. They had fallen short of the covenant and began to blame God. And at this point in history, Israel had history on their side. 
They saw the rewards of faithfulness over this time, over this thousand-year period. They watched and, and could see and look back upon how God was faithful to their people when they were faithful to God. And yet they could also see at this point in history when they look back how God, through his love for them, disciplined them when they were not faithful to him. It's why they were exile, went to exile in the first place, why they were you know, booted out of their, the land, their promised land, and they went to Babylonia. That is a part of their history at this point. And so after 70 years in exile, they definitely come back to the promised land with high hopes, right? They're excited to be back in the land that God gave their forefathers, yet, right, there's some people in the land. And so this is where we pick up. There's quite a few things, but I'm going to take a, a focused lens on this little piece, of, little piece of scripture for us tonight, okay? There's a lot of things that God felt like they were missing the mark, but but I want, for our purpose tonight, I just want us to take a look at this. This is Malachi 3, 13 through 18. It says this, your words have been hard against me. This is the Lord speaking, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Okay, so what are they, what's happening, right? God is calling them to account. He's like, hey, guys, like, I have this issue with you. And they're like, what are you talking about? We've never said this. And God says, no, 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 you said these things, but they don't remember, which means they may not have said them verbally. This might be their heart issue. Are you following me? This might be their heart issue. Maybe they never verbalized it. Maybe God is hearing it in their heart and watching it as they live it out. Because you know God does know all things, and he knows what is on each and every one of your hearts, of my heart. He knows it. He sees it. It cannot escape from him. And therefore, as he addresses these people, he's like, listen, I've got this thing against you. You said that, you know, it is vain to serve God, meaning it's empty. It's, there's, there's nothing in it for me. I profit nothing. I gain nothing from serving the Lord. And you're like, whoa, right? Like as we read scripture, and maybe even as I read it, you're like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Like who says that about God? And we have to be careful when we read scripture like this because we can so easily in hindsight be like, you guys are foolish. What idiots, right? But, but let me just say this. Whenever you read scripture and you're like, oh, they're dumb. Just be like, well, hold on. Lord, do you see any of that in me? Because we're really good at reading Scripture and being like, oh, those guys were idiots, <laughs> you know? But, but there's a reason why it's written in Scripture. Because we're human too. And oftentimes we don't pay close attention to our life enough to realize there's things that are going on in our heart that the Lord is not actually excited about. And so he calls them to account. He's like, listen, and listen to me. I don't ever want to be caught saying verbally or within my heart that serving the Lord is empty, is vain. I don't ever want to be found there. But isn't it interesting? Then they compare their selves 
to the lost, to the, to the pagans, right? They're like, wait a second, right? Like, the reason why it's not worth following God is because, I lost my place here, is because those people that are not serving you, the arrogant are blessed. Man, God, if I'm going to follow you, why are the arrogant blessed? Man, God, if I'm going to follow you, why are, are the evildoers blessed? Why, why do they prosper? And let's be honest, there's probably some times in our life where, where you're looking out on, you know, around you and being like, those guys don't serve God. And they've got X, Y, and Z, you know, the mansion, the Mercedes. We're always looking about what other people have, and, you, and, and this is a dangerous place to be because that's called comparison. But beyond that, let me just say this, because today in today's age, I think God would also say this. Stop looking to your neighbor. Stop looking to your neighbor and saying, oh, God, why do you do that for them? You see, I think there's, there's not just a, a Christian to a non-Christian belief in this moment, right? Like, I think God wants to address us because I think we also look around even in this room tonight. Maybe, maybe there were some people in this room tonight that people were responding and you're like, why is God touching them and not me? Why does God use those people to speak through and not me? Right? Is, is there really any difference between us looking at the evildoers and saying, man, God, why do they have all of those possessions? Why are they blessed in the classrooms? Why are they getting the internships? Why do they cheat on their exams and they get away with it? Why do they not tell the whole truth in their interview on an, you know, to, to get an internship and they get the internship and I'm not getting the internship? And all of a sudden we start putting our finger on all of these things that we want, but maybe, just maybe, God is bigger than that. And, and the whole point is that actually you trust him and not trust your circumstances, right? Actually, you stop looking to your circumstances to determine what God is like, and you start looking to God before all of that. And so I think it's important for us that, that we don't begin to look to other things to determine what, what either God is like or how he's moving on, on the earth. Like, we don't look to other people. And I think, let's be honest, again, I think sometimes we do that. And sometimes uh, I believe that we won't follow God very far if you come to Jesus in order to get an external result. I don't, you've probably been here because I've been here, okay? Before I followed Jesus and soccer was the love of my life, I used to pray this prayer. God, if I make the ODP team, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Right? Like, and praise God, I didn't make the ODP team, Right? <laughs> Because, why? Because it was just a, an empty promise. It was just an empty promise. I actually, oh, what did I mean? I, God, if I can use you to get what I want, then, I'll, then you're worth serving. And isn't that the cry of the heart of Israel right here? God, if, if, if I can get what I want, then you're worth serving. But if I don't get what I want, then it's not worth my time. Friends, that is a dangerous place to be. This is a very dangerous place to be. And I think, honestly, right, it grieves the Lord's heart that we would want to use God as a means to get what we want. 
But perhaps maybe this whole Christianity thing is not about what we get, but who we get. Not about what we get, but who we get as we follow Him, as we humbly walk with our God. We often cry out, right? Come on. God, why is this happening? Again, it's ridiculous because when we follow Jesus, we have to understand it has never been about the externals. In fact, I would say that that's the prosperity gospel. If I follow Jesus, then my life will be perfect. If I follow Jesus, then I will be blessed. But when we think of the word blessed, we think of the word blessed monetarily. But I just want you to know that's never been what the Scripture says. In fact, let me me just throw one out there. Jesus says this, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, we're not raising up people who all of a sudden they think when, when I say yes to Jesus, in fact, if you've been here very long, there's one reason why when we say, if there's anybody here that wants to give their life to Jesus, lift up your hand. You know why I don't say close your eyes and bow your heads? Because if you can't say yes to Jesus in a room that will celebrate your yes, how will you say yes to Jesus when the professor says, if you want an A in this class, you must deny Jesus? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden what we begin to see is that we're not training up people. We're not raising up people, right, to just get what they want from God, but that they actually would get closer to God. This is the heart's desire. This is God's desire. It was never about the externals, right? It was never about external results. Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the garden. When God created humanity, when he desired humanity, right, like he put them in the garden with himself. And what was lost when they sinned? When they sinned? Their relationship with God God was lost. They still had what was all the material things that were were there. Yes, they had to leave the garden, but the earth was still, you know, it wasn't like all of a sudden they vanished, right? Like they just got put out of the garden. The garden was a byproduct of that relationship that they had God, that they had with God. And, and oftentimes, like, when we talk about these things, I believe God can bless you in earthly ways, but that's not the point. And if that's the goal and the point, we miss everything. And I don't want to miss everything when it comes to God. Same thing with what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, right? God rescues Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. Why? just because he wanted to be nice? Because he wanted a people for himself. And what you start to see throughout Scripture is God has always wanted a people for himself. Always. It's never, he's never deviated from that plan and that desire. Reconciliation, restored relationship. Those who fear God have intimacy with God. Those who fear God. Listen to what it says about the people in this passage of Scripture, right? Down verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Right? So after God addresses this, and he said that they were like, and now we call the arrogant blessed, evil doers not only prosper, but 
but they put God to the test and they escaped. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord paid attention and heard them. He did what? He paid attention. Think about this for a second. When you live in a healthy fear of God, in a reverence of the Lord, the Lord God, the one who created all things, the all-powerful one, pays attention to you. I, I don't know about, what, I don't know what's going through your heart and your mind, but I don't know about, I mean, that just gets me excited. I'm thinking like, there are so many people on this planet. But that God will pay attention the ones who fear him. I don't know about you, but I would love to have God's attention on me. Especially when I'm in that physics class, you know what I'm saying? Or in that exam. I would love, not because I get a byproduct out of it, but because he's with me. When I stand before people that deny Jesus, I'm glad that he would pay attention to me in those moments. He heard them. He hears them. Think about that, right? Those who fear the Lord, he hears them. We also see that the, the prayers of a, of a righteous man avows much, right? Like this idea that God hears the people when they call to him. But isn't this interesting that in this picture, it's like they're just having a conversation between themselves, and God is like looking down upon those who fear him about what they're saying. And then what happens? He says this. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. What? <laughs> You're like, why is that in there? Like, it seems so out of place. But God cares so deeply about those who fear him that he's going to write a book in remembrance of those who fear him. That, isn't that crazy that, that God wants is going to remember you, one that God remembers you as one who fears him. But then he wants people to remember those who fear him. Those who fear him. And then he goes on, right? They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. The one, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. You guys still with me? This is, this is so important for us to understand, right? Like, they shall be mine. That the, the one who fears the Lord is going to be his possession. Like, they shall be mine. Like, I want those who fear me, I want them to be my treasured possession, something that I value, something that is important to me. I, where, like, come on, this is, this is what I would desire, right? Like, that the one true God who created all things would desire, right, to have me as his treasured possession. Like, this is crazy. Awesome. <laughs> this is crazy awesome that the God who created all things, who's all-powerful, wants those who fear him to be his treasured possession, that they're his, his possession. I think this is crazy powerful for us to understand that he treasures us. The reason why the fear of the Lord is his treasure is because he, he has always longed for a group of people that will be his. And nothing speaks more about being his than those who fear him, who have a healthy, holy reverence of who he is in order to walk in obedience 
to what he's asking us to do. They shall be mine. You guys, I don't know if you know this story, but in Acts chapter 10, there's this man who is a Gentile, an Italian Gentile. His name is Cornelius. And it says this about him in Acts chapter 10, that he is a devout man, a God-fearing man. Right? Now think about this in accordance to the Scripture, right? That, that they will be mine. Cornelius fears the Lord, and what happens in this story is that an angel of the Lord comes to Cornelius in the moment, right, in this passage of Scripture, and the angel tells him, hey, listen, send some guys to Peter, right? And so he does it. And what happens is Peter comes back, and there's so much to the story, I don't have time to go into it. Peter comes back, shares the gospel with him, and his entire household get saved, and they get empowered by the Holy Spirit, and just like crazy revival breaks out in Cornelius' house. Why? Because he's been found to be a man that fears the Lord. They shall be mine. Crazy. When we fear the Lord, we get God. Then he says this crazy thing, right? Like he's like, well, then you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve. You see, I think sometimes the problem with our ability to know, you know, is God really with me or not, right? Like if we, if we fear the Lord, because what happens is, is oftentimes their focus is not on God, right? If, if we're always comparing ourselves to what we have and what the other people have, what we have and what the other people in our, in our life group have or what the other people on this campus has, whatever that is for us, whatever, whatever that looks like, right? What we're saying is like, man, oh my gosh, like that's all I'm focused on. I'm not actually focused on the fact that the whole purpose of this thing is that I get God and that God's with me. Like, not that I earn it. Like, he did all the work. I just believe, and because I believe and I have a healthy fear of God, a reverence that leads to obedience, God is with me. And I don't know about you, but, man, I would rather be with God than anything else. Right? When we go back to that first story, and he's on the mountain, and it's shaking and thundering and full of smoke, and, and he's calling us into this invitation to, to intimacy, right? We have to remember that that call to be with God is a call to have him on our side. In the world we're living in, in the day, day and age that we're living in, with all that we're facing in all the world, I don't know about you, but, man, having the one that has created all things, the one that is all-powerful, right, on my side is a good deal. That that would be our heart's desire. It's a matter of focus. Eileen, if you would come get on the keys. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. If the fear of the Lord is his treasure, then it should be our treasure as well. We should desire and long to have a healthy reverence that leads to obedience. I want to be his. I want to be his treasured possession. I mean, I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind that God would look down upon a group of people that fear him and see them as his treasured possession. 
A long time ago, there was a man. This man was a, a collector of fine things. In fact, he, he actually collected fine jewels. And he would go searching throughout the earth for the nicest, the most perfect diamonds, the perfect emeralds, the perfect rubies. And one day he was in this shop, and, and, and as, as he stepped into this shop, he noticed something he's never taken note before. And it was this shop owner had some pearls in the display case. And he said, is that a pearl? And he said, yeah, that's, those, those are pearls. He said, wow, they're beautiful. And the shop owner looked at him and said, yeah, those are, those are nice, but there are even better ones out there. And so it sent him on a journey. He was sent on a journey, and he went searching for the finest pearl that he could find. And after years of searching, you know what happened is he, he actually found the most beautiful pearl. And when he inquired of what it would cost him, and he, he added it all up in his heart and in his mind, he realized that it would cost everything. So he went back home, and he began to sell everything he owned in order to acquire this pearl. This is exactly what Jesus has done. In fact, there's a parable in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, that says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. And when he finds it, he goes back and he sells everything. You see, Jesus, when he looked down and he saw you, and he saw you, yeah, you just put your hand on your chest. When he saw me, when he saw me, when he saw me, he desired intimacy so deeply that he decided to give up everything, his entire life, so that you could be found, so that you could be his. And in order to, to acquire you, what he did was he was beaten brutally. And then he hung on a tree with nails going through his wrists and nails through his feet. And he died a horrific death because he wanted you. Like he wanted you. You were the fine pearl. You are the treasure that he so desires. And so he gave his life so that you can find yours. And he died on a cross. And he rose three days later, conquering sin, death, and the grave so that you could be with him forever. You see, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that's the invitation. That's the desire that we get to do life with the one true God. And the way that we continue to remain in that place is that we develop a healthy fear of the one who gave it all for us. In other words, we understand the reverse is true. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds it, 
he goes back and he sells all that he has to purchase the land so that the treasure is his. In that parable, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. Friends, if there's one thing that you should treasure above all else, it is God. And so if you're here today and you don't have this relationship with this God, I want you to understand that He loves you so much that He gave it all for you. And He wants you to be His treasure. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know Him personally, I want you to slip up your hand. Is there anybody here that will say, that's me? That's me. I want to I surrender my life. I want to be his. I want to be his, his possession. Is there anyone here today that would say, that's me? Secondly, you can go ahead and stand with me. As I was writing this message, I was thinking about this song, Nothing Else. And in that song, it says this, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything you can do, I just want you. And I think every time that song comes on, my heart is stirred. Because that's the way I want to live. That not just, I don't want to live for Jesus because of what he could do for me. I want to live a life unto him alone. Unto him alone. And so if you're here tonight and you feel like, actually, I'm one of those people. I've been serving God and I've been paying more attention and more focused on what God is doing around me. I compare myself to where other people are at in their walk or maybe if you're a leader here, you're comparing to how many people are in other people's life groups or how many words God speaks to you in a, in a service like this or how many people God's used you to heal with, you know, heal. Listen, the, the truth of the matter is like, we're not in it for that. We're in it for him. Or maybe you're here today and it started stirring your heart as you recognize like you're so focused on the, inter- the externals that actually the majority of your relationship with Jesus is all about what he can do for you, like what he can give you not focus solely on who he is. This is what the fear of the Lord is not. The fear of the Lord is not serving God 
to get external results. It's always been about being a people that are His. And so tonight, if you're here, and that's where you're at, you've been so focused on the externals, I'm going to invite you to come forward because I think you need to lay that down at the altar. When we've been focused on the wrong things, we need to repent so that we change the way we think about who God is and why we serve Him. We can't do that without repentance, without repentance, a turning away from the old way of the way we thought and embracing the new. And then we need to ask God to help us to grow in a healthy fear of Him. Because I would love, right? I would love to live a life where His attention is on me where his, his ear hears my conversations, where I am his, his treasured possession. Amen. And so I'm going to pray. Eileen's going to sing. These altars are open. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you. God, that the fear of God is your treasure. And Lord, I'm asking God right now, where I've not lived in that healthy place, God, if I've identified more with the nation of Israel than I have with the, 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 the reality of what you desire me to be, God, I'm asking, God, that you would forgive me, that you would forgive me, God, that I would be stripped away from all of the wrong thinking and wrong thoughts, God, that if I was in this for just what I can get, God, and not in it for you, God, I'm asking, God, that you would forgive me. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for, for God, living my life. God, thinking that this faith was about what I can get and not who I can get. And so, Father, I'm here, God, tonight because I want you. I want you, Jesus. I just want you. I'm not here for blessing. God, I'm not here for blessing. God, I just want you. I just want you. I just want you in my life. I just, I've got to have you, God. I've got to have you. And so, Lord Jesus, we just ask, God, that you would do this. God, that you would mark us as men and women. God, that fear the Lord. That fear the Lord. That what we get when we fear the Lord is we get God. And that's all that matters. That's what we were designed for. That's what we were created for, God, is intimate relationship with you. And so we say, yes, God, do it in me. God, cry out, God, do it in me. God, give me a healthy fear of you. God, do it in me. Do it in me, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.